1689. Whoa, it's not 1689 Saturday. It's Systematic Saturday. Systematic Saturday. Happy Systematic Saturday. It's the first <laughs> one. <laughs> and we're using the 1699. Stay with oh. us. All right, 1699 Systematic Saturday. Let's go. Mm, systematic 1699 <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> um, you know, the thing is, I mean, the, the 1689 is just great systematic theology. It is. You know? and Historical it, theology. Totally. Yeah. In fact, if you read Sam Waldron's, I often say this about his exposition um, of the 1689, you end up just reading a mini systematic. I mean, he, especially the way that he does it. You know, it just kind of launches from that into into uh, systematic. So we're always going to be approaching this thing from a 1689 oh, yeah. perspective. Um, and so, but I do like the idea of broadening it out a little bit with systematics because even like, you know, what we're going to be talking about now, uh, this Saturday, it, it kind of, last week, Saturday, uh, if anyone's interested, I did a little spiel, just I didn't uh, get a chance to connect with Nick, but I did a little thing on on the Trinity. And, um, mm-hmm. and so from that, I, I just felt like, hey, if I'm going to go anything past you know, a basic look at this uh, uh, confession. We're gonna we're gonna be moving into wider zones. So I kind of I, I stayed away from the uh, some of the controversy that's happened recently. Um, but you know, we've had a request to kind of deal with that, and I want to deal with that. So you know, it, it's a good example of how thinking of this thing less in terms of uh, 1689 and more systematic categories, we can just widen that out yeah. and, and spend a little time on it. So. Um, for people that have no idea, um, and and this could be the case, don't feel bad about this, but there was this big explosion um, concerning the doctrine of the Trinity. When was it? 17? 2017? Uh, 2016 in the blogosphere is where it all began. Yeah. Yeah. Did it start in the blogosphere, did it? Well, it, it, had, it was um, EFS, uh, EDS, Evangelical Theological Society, ETS. I believe. ETS, that's it. Yeah. I believe they... Uh, in 2011, there were there were some pre-rumblings going on in academic circles. Right. Yeah, interesting. Because um, uh, when was that thing that Giles did, uh, that Kevin Giles uh, spoke at the ETS? Because he dropped the bomb there, man. That yeah. must have been something. Waldron's, Waldron's blog was in 2011. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm not sure actually when the when Giles – I, th- I got a feeling it was it was more recently than that. Um, so, but anyways, uh, bottom line, somewhere along the line, you had, uh, it, it came, it got nasty in, um, in that you've got, you had, uh, Bruce Ware and Wayne Grudem who are well-known evangelical theologians. They're not really, I wouldn't say very highly regarded amongst reformed theologians, right? I mean, I don't know if I'm being They're soteriological Calvinists, so they wouldn't be confused. Like, they wouldn't be hardcore confessional Calvinists. No, I mean, they're not, like, against Reformed theology, but, yeah, I mean, nope. I don't know. It's just, like, no one no one I know in Reformed circles thinks of them as these, like, full-on Jedi, yeah. you know. Um, but, they're yeah, so- they're often helpful in terms of very accessible, you know, theology. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, I've grew to him. You know, everyone's, everyone owes him a debt. You know, he just did a great work there by just kind of summarizing Burkhoff and, and just putting it in layman's language, and um, you know, sure he added his own thing here and there, but so do, so does everyone. And so, yeah, I'm always thankful for him and uh, the work that he's yeah, and done. I think Ware, I think Ware is a four point Calvinist. I don't even I don't think he believes in limited atonement. No, I don't think. So. Yeah, he's he was been he's always been the go to. <laughs> like in Acts 29, you know, all the four points is just always bring up Ware. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's that classic vibe, isn't it? That sort of wider reformed, but not really reformed circle. It's more, it's, and I'm not even saying like as in reformed, truly reformed stuff. I'm just saying that, yeah, the confession is a non-entity usually for, for these guys. Um, and so anyways, all to say uh, what they are known for is their complementarianism. And uh, they've sort of headed up with, you know, guys like John Piper and uh, whoever else has been on that. Um, Biblical Council for Manhood and Womanhood. That's the one. Yeah, totally. And so they've, they've put out a lot of great work um, and, you know, yeah, just really stuff. been really very good. helpful. Uh, they've certainly had to take a lot of flack for it. Couldn't I, I wouldn't want their job, you know, standing for that sort of thing in, in a climate like, uh, you know, our... Uh, our climate. I mean, I suppose we all have to do that, but just to have that council, you know, and, and spearheading it all, you know, you're going to get excessive amounts of of uh, antagonism. So they've had to put up with a lot over the years, um, and they've held strong, and they're you know they're good dudes. You know, at the end of the day, um, yeah. no doubt in my mind that both of those guys are, are solid Christians. And um, and then on the other side, you've got uh, Kevin Giles and uh, who was the other guy? Oh, Millard Erickson. <laughs> I uh, I actually cut my <laughs> cut my teeth on Millard. Uh, I remember back in yeah. the day, he was like my first systematic theology I think I ever read. Yeah. Um, did you have the green one or did you get the second edition? The purple one. The it had like a reddish yeah. maroon. Dude, I I I I had to read part of it. Oh, the first. green one. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <sighs> did you also have to read it? Yeah, Baptist College, bro. That was the yes. that was the systematic. Of course, Baptist College. Yeah. Oh man, that's exactly what it is. It's like a Baptist Union text, you know. Um, yeah, and he's just what I did. I think what I came away from. I think probably what has affected me all throughout from Millard Erickson's stuff is um, just the way he. I mean, he is very ironic and very careful and tries to present the opposing view as best as possible yeah. and it doesn't really ever even take sides for the most part he's just kind of just yeah. presenting whoever. very annoying i remember yeah. how many times i come away from his stuff saying well, which is right yeah <laughs> especially <laughs> as a young believer you know he's just kind of like i mean now i kind of almost circle back and check okay well it's just a helpful survey of what's out there yeah. but um but yeah some good historical work yeah i remember actually going from millard erickson to burkoff and nearly blowing my mind you know <laughs> just you're as a guy who's just telling you exactly what's going on yeah. hardly even erickson bothering raymond robert, <laughs> oh, robert raymond. raymond oh wow <laughs> I know. Actually, I, I, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Robert Raymond was right after Burkhoff. Yeah. Dude, turned me into a cage stage dude for a while. <laughs> uh, you know, I thought I had the answers to everything. Raymond, Raymond scratched an itch. He certainly did. Oh, man. Wow. Because, I mean, he even structured the whole systematic according to his uh, according to the Westminster. <laughs> so, yeah, basically it was like a glorified exposition of the Westminster. But, yeah, couldn't be further from, from uh, Millard Erickson. But you know, Melody Erickson, he's an evangelical, kind of has some weird, softish views here and there. Yeah, uh, canotic. He's got some canotic views. Yeah, true. Um, and so, him and uh, Giles, I hadn't really heard much of. I don't know if you had. Um, so, uh, I, I've had some big questions of uh, eternally begotten. I believe that was some of our first conversations. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I always struggled with the concept of eternally begotten because it's a contradiction in terms. Mm. Begotten implies a beginning and eternally implies no beginning. And so I was thinking, this is just useless language. Mm -hmm. Let's just chuck it out. It's it's old. No one thinks. And even if it's saying something true, it's 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 more incorrect than true. And that's actually what Grudem said originally. Yeah, <laughs> which is so. I, I was and and look, I was very sympathetic to Grudem when mm. Grudem said, "Look, it's basically saying you know he's just an eternal son, um, you know, and they just didn't." 
they weren't as good as us at saying things. <clears throat> but if we want to honor the truth that, that's there, we need to embrace this thing called eternal functional subordinationism. Right. Um, which, which is what he thinks that eternally begotten is getting at. Yes, yes. But, um, yeah. That was, that was the mistake right there. That he yeah. he sort of got rid of the confessional language and did his own thing and ah oh, man yeah, yeah. just no Grudem don't do it don't go there <laughs> and yeah I think I think I probably got everyone's attention now I'm, you know I just imagine this would be the case it, as he starts to use that in the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood thing and and yeah uh, and, you know, and honestly I mean one Corinthians eleven verse three you know the Christ submits to the Father. You know, it was it became a key text for me. I I am a complementarian, mm. and it was a great argument to say, hey, the Holy Spirit's the helper. Wives mm. are helpers. The son submits to the father. Wives submit to their husbands. There's no loss of equality between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, and so eternal in the eternal relationships between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, there, there are there is authority and there is submission, and mm. it does not degrade the people involved in those relationships. Therefore, wife. Mm-hmm. You can submit to your husband without yeah. feeling degraded or minimized. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, me too. I mean, I've always seen that as it's almost like one of those things that once you've established the Trinity without the issue of complementarianism in view, then, you know, it forms and, and let's say you land on some form of, you know, we haven't got there yet, but subordination um, or order or whatever. And it works to u- use that as an illustration um, so as to show a concept that's also true in complementarianism, though not necessarily flowing out of. I mean, you know, I, I you know, why not? That's fine, but but um, it feels to me like what Grudem, you know, he sort of wanted to push the Trinity thing to the point that it became the basis for against feminist uh, versions of the Trinity, which neutered the the persons of the Trinity. And yeah. um and and it became a trinitarian war and a complementarian war and that's where it got complicated, and then you know he overplayed a card and everyone else who's you know and to a degree rightly everyone else who's in the you know trinitarian orthodox evangelical camp is just going wait a minute Grudem we can't follow you on this you know yeah and um and so started to challenge him on it and um on that point I mean on the you know the, one of the big challenges um happened at this Evangelical Theological Society um, conference. In fact, Chris Kahi was there. He told me, he said he was there <laughs> when, when Giles dropped the bomb and pretty much started calling everyone a heretic. Um, but uh, that's obviously where things got hairy. And I think the first thing to probably say, you know, just as I like the fact that we're dealing with it now rather than in that time when it was all going yep. down, because I really just don't want to, I'm not interested in cashing in and riding the wave of some blogosphere freaking thing that's happening. You know, I just don't care at that level. But, you know, now that it's settled and you can actually see what the issues were, it's a great time to look at it. And, mm. you know, it's a great time to, to, to actually, you know, see very clearly where, where, the, where they all agreed. Um, what's really encouraging about it is that there's no sort of, you know, everyone's agreeing that, uh, the egalitarian, heavy feminist view is just, um, you know, which, which wants to remove order and eternal generation and everything out of the Trinity. Uh, yeah, no one's seeing that as being uh, acceptable. So that's good. Um, and, you know, everyone's agreeing that there's an economic subordination of some sort, uh, which is good as well. 
Yeah. Um, so you might want to have to define uh, economic. Economic in time, in history, uh, as Christ is revealed to us in Scripture. Um, it's as, the relationship of the Trinity in creation and salvation, and uh, the economic Trinity includes relationships of authority and submission. Yeah, that's right. So, and you see that very, very clearly. I mean, again, like I, anyone who takes the Bible seriously is going to just come away going, all right, well, you know, that's what's revealed. Um, you'd have to have some fairly severe feminist agenda to try and, you know, get through that one. Um, but the, the, the real debate lies in, you know, not, not in economic terms, um, and, and that's like in time and redemptive history, but in terms of uh, the persons of the Trinity, um, Outside of time, yeah, intra-Trinitarian, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. The imminent Trinity or the persons and being of the Trinity, so that, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity um, proper in that sense. And um, and so the, the issue there, even further, uh, is, is about this, their relationship, you know, how does the Father relate to the Son? How does the, mm. the Son relate to the Father? How does you know, um, the, the spirit relate to the father and the son, what exactly is the relationship or as best as we can tell, how does the, how does Nicaea put it and, and what are we to steer clear of? And, yeah. um, and so, and a lot of it is just steering clear, you know, we're just, we can't ever get at the center of this thing. We can't, uh, necessarily have full understanding, but we, we do know what not to say at certain points. And, um, and so that's where the debate lies. And it's a lot smaller, actually, when you think about it like that. I think that's what immediately I read the, the Kevin Giles statement or, you know, whatever he, he said there at the ETS uh, conference. And um, I, I agree that he went too far there. Um, uh, I'm thankful to see some good guys come out and say that. I mean, Lee Irons, for example, um, you know, said took him to task a little bit about the, that whole thing. You know, he didn't didn't think these guys were heretics. And, of course, the big one would be uh, El Molo, who, yeah. um, you know, he I, – I actually I wish I actually had it out, but it might be worth if you uh, do want to do this, just Google El Molo. And, um, and uh, let me see if I can pull it. Oh, there it is. Sorry, I got it super quick. Um, here we go. Let's see if I can read this. Because I, I think this does set the tone. I realize El Molo is kind of defending one of his own dudes at his own seminaries. But still, he wouldn't say this unless it was something uh, that was important. Uh, he says, Recent charges of violating the Nicene Creed made against respected evangelical theologians like Wayne Grudem and Bruce Ware are not, are, are not just nonsense. They are precisely the kind of nonsense that undermines orthodoxy and obscures real heresy. Their teachings do not in any way contradict the words of the Nicene Creed, and both theologians eagerly affirm it. I do not share their proposals concerning eternal submission of the Son to the Father, but I am well aware that nothing they have taught even resembles the heresy of the Arians. Uh, to the contrary, both theologians affirm the full scope of Orthodox Christianity and have proved themselves faithful teachers of the Church. These charges are baseless, reckless, and unworthy of those who have made them. Uh, and he goes on like that. And I think, you know, to some extent, I mean, that's just, that needed to be said. Um, so then you can have just a nice sane conversation about it afterwards, because otherwise everyone's just bringing, to blow heresy whistles on the Trinity is, dude, that's, yeah. you know, you don't want to do that unless it's really going Except that being way. alarmist. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It just didn't help at all. Um, now, with that in place, um, what do we think about uh, Grudem's eternal Well, uh, I mean, function? maybe... Let me explain it because I was a Grudemite yeah. on this issue. Okay. 
Um, I, I, I've walked through the error, embraced the error, preached the error. Even in my Roman series, I can point back to certain uh, sermons where I would have just simply repeated Grudem. You know, you pick up your systematic theology, uh-huh. pull out some good uh, key verses that he's referring to, and you just include them in your sermons. Mm-hmm. Um, so let, let me tell you where I stand now, and mm-hmm. I think a great way to sort of bring some clarity to the discussion. Mm -hmm. So we have to sort of take a side issue and go to the Third Council of Constantinople in Mm -hmm. 680 and 681, Mm -hmm. where they were discussing the heresy of monothelitism. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a a nice big word for those out there who are interested Mm -hmm. in theology and church history. Mm -hmm. Mono obviously means one, and thelema is the Greek word for will. And the question was this, Mm -hmm. Christ is one person with two natures. Mm. Does he have one will, or does he have two wills? Mm. And um, it's often a trick question (laughs) uh, used in theology to see Mm. if people think through their Christology in a biblical fashion. Mm -hmm. And the answer is Christ has two wills Mm -hmm. because he has to have a full divine nature, Mm -hmm. and nature has a will. But he also has a full human nature. He can't have a human nature minus a will. Otherwise, it's not a full human nature. Mm -hmm. Therefore, he must have two wills. So in the instance of the hypostatic union, you've got one person. So there's the singularity on the person side, but two natures. And so you take the issue of will, and and the question is this. Is will an attribute of nature or personhood? And maybe wrongly, we, we might think that will belongs to the personhood. Mm. and associate with, associated with decision-making, but it is properly associated with nature. And mm. so if you have a fallen nature, you experience a bondage of the will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so will and nature go hand in hand. Mm. So the monothelitist uh, debate is, is pretty helpful just to sort yeah. of negotiate and, and see where will is in relation to person and nature. Mm-hmm. So now let's go into the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Now, Grudem is saying this. He is saying that the Son is in a relationship. So you've got EFS, which is Eternal Functional Subordinationism, Mm -hmm. or you've got ERAS, ERAS, which Mm -hmm. is Eternal Relations of Authority and Submission. Mm -hmm. Okay? And, of course, in order to submit, you need a will, right? Mm -hmm. So the issue of will becomes central to what's going on. As we go into the eternal trinity, the internal relations of the trinity, the question is this. Our our definition of the Trinity is one being, one essence, one nature in three persons. Mm -hmm. So the question is this. Are there three wills or is there one will in the Trinity? Yeah, got to be one will. Got to be one will. Now, it may may seem um, unintuitive to say so. But remember back to the monothelitist case. It's mm. it's a trick question. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's, it's this sort of thinking which keeps us on track. Mm-hmm. And it's necessarily so. Otherwise, we're going to lose. Because we, we all tend towards overemphasizing the oneness of the threeness, don't we? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is one of those tricky areas where we could cross out, get our wires crossed, and go in the wrong direction. So mm-hmm. we must insist that there is one will in the ad intra trinity. Mm-hmm. in the Trinitarian relations. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't a will per person. There is only a will per being. Mm-hmm. And so there is no distinguished will of the Son that is eternally subordinated to a distinguished will of the Father. Mm-hmm. For there is only one will. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so to insist that there are distinguished wills is to separate uh, separate will from being and attribute it to person and go and take the uh, doctrine of the Trinity in all sorts of wrong directions. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah, that's super helpful, and uh, it, it's just uh, it's great to bring that extra debate in there to to kind of uh, level things out on this one. Um, <clears throat> one thing I've um, um, wanted to just mention, um, yeah, yeah, you mentioned we've got the um, eternal functional subordination or whatever they call it. ERS. Um, ERS, yeah. And then uh, what do the other guys call their thing? Do they have a cool nifty little acronym? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. EFS and ERA. It's they just, just call it like the only proper that. view. <laughs> <laughs> the only orthodoxy <laughs> <Nazi> and orthodoxy <laughs> um, but yeah so one of the things um just way before this debate that i found I, the, the person i found, found very helpful on this um was was um sam waldron in his uh, exposition of the 1689 and even prior to any of uh, of this uh, debate way prior to any of this debate breaking out um, he breaks it down really well. He says you've got this, um, you've got subordinationism in history, which everyone agrees is bad. You know, that's gonna, it's on the way to to uh, Arianism. You know, as soon as you start saying that by any um, any derivation in the essence is gonna essentially lead to some sort of uh, non equality within the persons of the Trinity, and yeah. um, you know, you're only a a, a millimeter away there from from just going full scale Aryan, uh, if not if you haven't gone there already. So subordinationism of all its kinds, and it has a few different forms, uh, is bad. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got this kind of um, uh, new to Trinity idea, in that people wanting are wanting to say that uh, essentially the Father could have been the one who who came down and died for our sins and the spirit, you know, could have been the son. And, you know, it's almost, they don't want to read anything of the economic Trinity back into any ontological kind of realities that for fear of, of reading or just maybe some agenda that they've got. But at the end, uh, as, as um, uh, you know, Waldron says, you end up with something that, that just uh, smells more like barren philosophy than, than biblical revelation. Um, and in the middle um, you know, you do have this fairly standard view, which uh, he calls hypostatic subordinationism. Now, in light of the current controversy, or, or at least uh, this past controversy, he, you know, he might well want to revise that, you know, term or whatever. But, but what I found really helpful about that is that he he uh, doesn't mean in hypostatic subordinationism that there is any will subordination, um, that or any kind of um, anything that would even give grounds for complementarianism. Yeah. Um, he simply wants to protect the order of of the Trinity, and uh, that's what obviously comes very clearly through. Uh, comes comes through very clearly in uh, in the Nicene Confession, in that you do have this eternal begetting, this relationship, this uh, procession, um, and so um, th- it's less to do with the matter of of the son being submissive to the father um, and more the this this um, as Hodge put it this this matter of order without order and subordination without explanation he says which I really like uh, that there's something uh, about the father son order that needs to be kept um, yes. and that needs to be guarded and if you don't guard that 
then um, you do end up with a really messed up uh, situation. So I think everyone is trying to guard that, but they probably just want to use language differently. And I think probably reading through Giles, I think he's leaning too much on the whole uh, egalitarian feminist trip. And I think if anything, I want to pull him back towards Grudem a little bit, but I see his <laughs> points and I want to I want to pull Grudem towards him as well. So yeah. I suppose what I'm saying is, you know, perhaps there is something that has always been there uh, yeah. to some degree or another that we perhaps the language has got a bit muddled and, and needlessly controversial. Um, but as long as we know what we mean when we're saying it, well, or perhaps that's, yeah. that's where the language of eternally begotten must be brought in. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So we want to, we want to say that, you know, amongst the three, there is paternity, is rightly predicated of the Father and not the Son mm-hmm. and not the Spirit, mm-hmm. that there's something distinct in the person of the Father which makes it fitting that paternity is credited to the Father mm-hmm. and begottenness to the Son mm-hmm. by the same um, way of thinking and spiration to the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are not to imply that there's a beginning of any of them. No. I mean, this is the way Confession puts it. The Father is of none. Mm-hmm neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations. Mm. So it's a description of personal relation um, within the uh, Trinitarian relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Are you happy to, you know, a lot of the the older church fathers talked about the derivation the, uh, according to their personhood of the son from the father i think i think i i like what calvin said yeah. you know calvin uh in his in his institutes made a bold comment just basically saying look if you read through some of the church fathers they overstated their case mm-hmm. and often fell into subordinationist uh type of language and tendencies mm. and he introduced a new term he took uh two greek words and he threw them together alto and theos mm. Uh, and it means God in himself. Mm. And mm. so as long as we yeah. talk about Christ as the son who is God in himself, yeah. so that he's underived, but he is God in himself mm-hmm. in terms to, of his essence and being, then that, that's the necessary safeguard. And again, it's like, like with all these Trinitarian um, things, we're looking for the rails, looking for the guardrails. Yeah. We're not looking to exhaust the essence. Exactly. We're looking for the places we can't go. We're looking for language to help us not to cross any heretical boundaries. Mm. But we're not thinking that we're going to be able to express and explore the full essence of God in this issue. Mm, totally. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, in terms of what, here's where I would fall. And uh, here's, here's, here's my big thing. You know, I'm like, I don't think we should uh, be using the Trinity for, you know, just especially uh, that what in terms of what has been sharpened by these debates, I don't think we should be using the Trinity to uh, prove any kind of complementarianism. Well, not um, the ontological Trinity, but we should be using the economic Trinity. We should Hold be using economic, no problem at all. That's right. Yeah, yeah great point. Thank you. Um, but yeah, thinking about the ontological Trinity now. Um, but that said, there's something about the economic Trinity and it's very clear subordination um, that I, I, I feel uh, leads, you know, it, it, the, the traditional language concerning subordination um, ontologically, it, it's okay with me. I feel like it's absolutely fine because of that, you know, economic reality, um, as long as we're, we're saying that, you know, you can't, you can't bring the actual meaning of subordination as we understand it into 
the Trinity. So whether the term itself is even helpful, or not, I just like it because it's been used. It's it's going to constantly crop up in church history. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you got a choice. You can either freak out and think the guy's going totally nuts. You know, when you when you read it, you know, you read Hodge for example. Has he just like abandoned the faith and gone Arian? No, he's just <laughs> he's just basically. Uh, you can tell if you read the full. Even Grudem quotes him a whole bunch of times, probably a little bit inappropriately at certain points. But you know, just you know, all he's trying to do there is go. Listen, it's like it's it's something like what we see. It's what what has been revealed. Subordination seems to be the right term because of the whole begottenness and whatever. Um, but it doesn't mean subordination in any human concept. It just means order. It means um, there's no. Um, I wish I could remember offhand what how he said it now, but I thought it was really good. The way you've you've actually got um, the order of the of the Trinity being safeguarded by that term, um, but yeah, maybe there's a better term that we need to start using. Who knows? But I just you know again, I, I'm a sucker for. Um, I like I think Grudem should have just stuck to the Nicene the whole way through. Stoked he's uh, come around on on eternal generation, um, but I mean if we just stick to historic language, I mean there's not too much that can go wrong. On, the, on these points, you know. Um, so, yeah, where are the guardrails? The guardrails are just don't read um, some sort of complementarian understanding of subordination into the, the ontological trinity. Into the ontological trinity. And on the other hand, don't remove, uh, the other guardrail would be don't remove the order and identity of the triune guided uh, ontologically. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Good. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, you know, um, I, you know what I lament though. I actually, uh, I was feeling honestly reading through this stuff, just made me feel a little bit nauseous. Um, I think of Mike Ovi, for example. I was chatting to my brother as well. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's another guy that went down in the flames uh, with this uh, breakout um, because he was pretty much uh, pushing what Grudem was. Um, and I mean, this guy was the pinnacle of orthodoxy. You know. Um, it, uh, principal of Oak Hill College, and um, that's how my brother knew him. Um, just a lifetime of faithful service, and his name just got dragged through the mud, and the stress was so severe. They reckon it's it's kind of what uh, basically put him in hospital, and, and he died soon after. Um, wow. And so, I mean, just that kind of thing is man, it just makes me angry. You know, I, I feel I feel the intensity of what Mola was saying there, in, in that you know, just be careful. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, these are men's reputations and uh, yeah. bearing false witness. Bearing it's, false witness. And the thing is, the internet is just so different from everything we've ever you know, witnessed before in that you just can't, once someone goes, once it drops a bomb on the, you know, in the, the what do you call it, blogosphere, I mean, how can you ever take that back? And You know what I mean? It's just going to... Yeah, gonna we're die. like the crowds of Jerusalem. Crucify him, crucify Ooh, him. Totally. And you, you get that feeling. Uh, very, very clearly. So, I mean, on the other hand, the doctrine of Trinity is super, super important, and it is the you know this pivotal landmark of orthodoxy. But, but um, you know, man, we just have to, I don't know, man. I've, more and more, I'm just getting like, what is wrong with Christians? You know, <laughs> we just, dude, <laughs> we are. We need to show more love. We do. I yeah. think it's a thing. You know, especially in Reformed churches. Wow. Yeah. You well, the, the the internet has just magnified the sin that was always there. That's These true. Are, That's uh, a good point. The thoughts we think privately in our hearts about other people mm-hmm. that we 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 say when no one else is watching, and, and we we don't we don't feel the accountability. That's, yes. that's 
coming out. It's coming out. That's actually a great point, man. That's that's yeah. worth another talk on its own. But there we go. Have we covered everything, more or less? I think, I think it's Have good. Have we solved the problems of the universe? That's what we were shooting <laughs> of for. Okay. Every time. All right. There should be no more problem with the Trinity. If you have a problem, it was your fault, not ours. Exactly. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Yep.